Tonight, we are going to be uh, continuing that Sabbath a little bit longer, uh, the talk, and I want to bring it now to the realm of today. Uh, We've looked at some church history, and we've kind of seen, kind of building up that there was some anti-Semitic attitudes and that type of thing. Um, And I've been saying that they, they, they didn't meet on Sunday. I need to clarify that a little bit, because they didn't at least not as the Sabbath. Okay, they, they were meeting on Sunday, but they never thought that was the Sabbath, and they never stopped doing the Sabbath. And I'm going to show you that very clearly here tonight. And so, um, to do so, I'm going to show you uh, a guy named Grant Jeffries. And I would say he is uh, an extremely influential man. He's wrote over 20 books is well known among Christian communities. Um, He wrote one book here that you can kind of see there at the bottom right called Unveiling Mysteries of the Bible. And in that book, he has an entire chapter dedicated uh, basically to this very topic. And the, the chapter title is Why Do Christians Worship on Sunday? Now, I want you to understand that what I'm about to show you is going to seemingly disagree with everything that I have taught you so far. All right, so uh, you're going to see the opposing side, but what they are saying today that would go against what I've been teaching you. All right, so to be fair. Uh, And then we're going to look at it closely, and, and you guys can decide what the Bible says, not what Brian says. Not what Grant Jeffrey says, not what Ignatius said, or Constantine, or anybody else. And so we're going to look at what the scriptures clearly say about that here tonight as well. But what I want you to know is that this is a pretty big topic for an entire chapter of this guy's book to be discussing it. Um, It's a legitimate debate, and therefore it does need to be looked at. So this is what he starts out saying in his book. He says, of all the mysteries that I have been asked about over the years, the question of whether Christians should worship on Sunday or on Saturday has perplexed and bothered more believers than any other question in my experience. It must be an issue. It's very unfortunate that so few people know the truth about the question of Sunday versus Saturday worship. So, it must be a big enough topic that it's one of the questions that has most perplexed most Christians. Now, why would it be that it perplexes them the most? Could it be that because the Bible seems to say one thing, and yet culture seems to be doing the other? Why it's so perplexing? Just a thought. He goes on, many Christians have been puzzled when asked to explain why the church worships God on Sunday, the first day of the week, and not on the seventh day of the week, Saturday, the ancient Sabbath day of the Jews. Now, already you're seeing something here that this is an ancient Sabbath day that was given to Jews, not Gentiles. This is just a Jewish thing. The same thing that has happened to the festivals 
They're called Jewish festivals when in fact they're God, the Lord's festivals, the Lord's Sabbath. God doesn't say your Sabbaths unless he is rebuking Israel. He always says these are my Sabbath, right? My Sabbaths. It goes on. The Bible clearly describes God's command to the Jews again to worship him on the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, Saturday. So you're seeing this dual covenant theology coming around again that we talked about with Ignatius and others, that there are separate rules for Jews than there are Gentiles. And we, we are going to have to take one week at some point to talk about that because scripturally we'll blow that out of the water. But it goes on, the early Christians began to use the expression the Lord's Day during the first century following the birth of the church to refer to Sunday as our common day of worship. So, in other words, at the birth of the church, the beginning of the church, Sunday was the Lord's Day. That's what he's saying. Revelation 1.10 is the only place in scripture that uses the expression the Lord's Day. Sunday was usually identified by the phrase the first day of the week throughout the New Testament. So, um, what he's saying here might make sense on the surface level, but bottom line, this is just not true about the Lord's Day, and you're going to see that here very shortly. But uh, he's basically saying that the Lord's Day is synonymous with Sunday. I'll show you that's not the case. Now, what... How is he basing that uh, fact? What is he basing it on? One verse in Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, where John was in the spirit on the island of Patmos on the Lord's day when he got his vision of the book of Revelation. Well, he also says Sunday is typically called the first day of the week in Scripture. I agree. Okay, And we're going to look at those Scripture verses here. Um, but I want to show you here first this uh, Revelation 1.10 verse that he's talking about, as well as a verse uh, dealing with the first day of the week. In Acts chapter 20, verse 7, it says this, Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. So, were they meeting here on Saturday or on the Sunday? Yes, absolutely they were. Do you think they might have met on Saturday as well? Yes, absolutely they did. How do I know that? Well, Acts 15 says that every Sabbath the law is read in the synagogues. Okay, and this is from the Jerusalem Council, Christians, the church, were meeting on Sabbath. So this is in addition to, and we're going to talk about that and why they're meeting here too. Revelation 1.10, that verse, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as a trumpet. And I just kind of put up the, the Greek here for you. On the Lord's day, if you look at it very carefully, you can see it, I mean, and it pretty much translates well, I think, but... You need to understand the possessive there. On the Lord's day. It is, in the Greek, possessive, meaning this is a day that belongs to God. 
So on the Lord's day, would that be Sunday? No way. Because he calls the Sabbath his day throughout all of Scripture on my Sabbath. This is my Sabbath. The only day identified as belonging to God in Scripture hundreds of times is the Sabbath. So I would disagree strongly that this one verse in the entire Bible here when it talks about the Lord's day is talking about Sunday. That is the church because of their dual covenant theology saying, well, the Lord's day, that's Sunday. So um, just wanted you to kind of see those. We're going to look at some other scriptures here in a moment. But uh, I would say that my Sabbaths would also be the Lord's day. So he goes on and he says, Sunday was usually identified by the phrase the first day of the week throughout the New Testament. Outside the New Testament, the expression, the Lord's Day, appears in the early church document known as, known as the Didache. We talked about that two weeks ago. We showed you the Didache is one of this, this uh, <clears throat> early, one of the earliest church documents that you might say that gives you an idea of what was going on in the early church. But it says the expression, the Lord's Day, appears in an early church document known as the Didache, which includes this statement, on the day of the resurrection of the Lord, that is the Lord's Day, assemble yourselves together. In other words, the early church clearly, from this one of the earliest church documents that we have, is saying they met on the day of the resurrection to uh, basically worship together. Well, that might be nice if you just read Grant Jeffries' book, but if you have the DDK or look up the DDK, you'll see it does not say that. Let me show you exactly what the DDK says and compare it. Here on the top, you see what Grant Jeffries says it says on the day of the resurrection of the Lord. He took a little freedom there in paraphrasing because this is what the DDK says, chapter 14, verse 1. Every Lord's, day, every Lord's Day, do ye gather yourselves together and break bread and give thanksgiving after having confessed your transgressions that your sacrifice may be pure. But you see, he sees the Lord's Day as Sunday. He called it that. So... It's different, isn't it? If the Lord's Day really is my Sabbath, then that changes everything. It doesn't say anything about the day of the resurrection here. That was his understanding, his uh, just telling you what it said. Now, when so-called scholars are saying this in their books that sell, you know, 20 million copies or whatever, I think it was 5 million copies, no wonder culture continues to go along with this. But here's the thing. Even, even if this were true, in that what he said the DDK said was, was actually what it said, this is still over a hundred years, you know, basically uh, after Christ. And a hundred years, things can get pretty well messed up. 
Not to mention, we should go what Scripture says, not what a historical book about the church says, because the church was messed up. Jesus warned us. Paul warned that after he leaves, there would be wolves, savage wolves that would come in, teach doctrines that were wrong immediately. And sure enough, we see that happening. So even if it were true, that wouldn't be the best evidence. Our best evidence is Scripture. Now, I've shown you history, showing you that they were meeting on the Sabbath, but again, even if I didn't have that, that shouldn't matter what the church was doing. What should matter is what God's Word said. It might be helpful to you know, understand God's Word, but God's Word is where the buck, sto the buck stops there. He goes on, note that this statement in an early church document, the Didache, only 80 years after Christ's resurrection, confirms that Christians worshipped on Sunday. Well, I just showed you it didn't confirm any of that. On the day of the resurrection of the Lord, that is the Lord's day. See how he's clarifying that. That is the Lord's day. He's just paraphrasing what he sees it saying. In the centuries following Christ's resurrection, the expression, the Lord's Day, became a common synonym for Sunday, the day of Jesus' resurrection from the grave. He goes on and he says this. In the centuries following Christ's resurrection, the expression, the Lord's Day, became a common synonym for Sunday, the day of Jesus' resurrection from the grave. Well, obviously, I, I think that that does happen. I've shown you that in church history, but that's the root of Satan, not scriptural nor is it what the disciples were doing, as I'll show you here in a little bit as well. But you can see why so many are going to believe this, this lie, because scholars are teaching this, and the sheep will blindly follow. If we are ignorant of truth, you'll believe anything. Well, he continues and says, The early church father, Ignatius, was a disciple with Polycarp under the spiritual direction of the apostle John. So we're like real close. John you know, and Polycarp are together there, basically. Um, in the non-canonical book, the Epistle of Ignatius to the Magnesians, Ignatius twice used the expression, the Lord's Day, as a reference to Sunday, as the command day of Christian worship. Ignatius wrote, quote, After the observance of the Sabbath, let every friend of Christ keep the Lord's Day as a festival, the resurrection day, the queen and chief of all days of the week. Now, a few things here. Number one, he is quoting from what is called the extended version of Ignatius. And most scholars say that this actually came centuries later, so that it is not really Ignatius that wrote this. Um, secondly, I already showed you that Ignatius spoke as the dragon, you know, two weeks ago. Some of the things that he said were clearly absolutely unbiblical and anti-Semitic. So, keep that in mind as we go. The other thing, though, is I'm just going to point something out that isn't going to make sense yet, but it's going to in a moment. He used the expression, the Lord's Day, as a reference to Sunday which I would strongly disagree with, but as a command day of Christian worship. It, it, there are some things, believe it or not, in Scripture that will command 
some worship to be done on Sunday. You'll see that, but just take note of that here. Anyway, Ignatius wrote, After the observance of the Sabbath, let every friend of Christ keep the Lord's Day as a festival. That's what I want you to keep in mind. A festival. The resurrection day. I don't deny that, that he was up. I personally don't think that he rose on Sunday. It was Sunday morning they go and he was already up. I believe he rested on the Sabbath, and I think Saturday night he rose. He was up all night, probably with his father praying. And yes, they went to the tomb on Sunday, and, you know, but regardless, okay? Um, but anyway, like I said, Ignatius is not my guy for that I'm going to use as a model of truth here, based on what I was showing you before here a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he goes on and he says, over the last few centuries, a variety of groups, including Seventh-day Adventists, the Seventh-day Baptists, have claimed that Christians have sinfully abandoned the true Saturday worship of God's biblically authorized Sabbath and adopted Sunday worship, thus changing times and laws of God, which is what Daniel said the Antichrist would do. They claim that God commanded believers to worship on Saturday and never changed that command. Guilty. Guilty as charged, even though I'm not a Seventh-day Adventist, but I agree 100% with what he just said. This is an authorized day, Saturday is. Sunday was adopted, and God did command Saturday worship. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, a little disclaimer here, though. I am not claiming that if you worship on Sunday that you're not a Christian. Fine, I said already, you're going to see God even commanded some Sunday worship. We see the disciples did meet on Sunday in addition to the Sabbath. And I'm going to explain why. God has not abandoned the people just because the people have abandoned the Sabbath. See the difference? So don't take me wrong here. I'm not saying you're not a Christian because you, you know, don't do these things. I, I'm just trying to teach you what Scripture says, but it's okay to worship God on Sunday too. You can put it this way. Remember Joshua, when he was standing on holy ground, an angel appears to him, he says, take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. God didn't like, you're on holy ground, you're wearing shoes, sorry. <clears throat> Zap him dead. All right, there's a big difference between ignorance and rebellion. So let that just be my little disclaimer. <coughs> he continues, we're getting close to done here with him, but they claim that the early church unanimously worshiped together on the Saturday Sabbath for many decades or even centuries until church leaders arbitrarily changed the day of worship to Sunday without any command or authorization from God. Again, Guilty as charged. I agree. Um, like I said, I, I, I've shown this early in earlier messages, but it sounds like they did not worship on Saturday with what he's saying, doesn't it? And I've shown you, no, they did. Go back two weeks. Anyway, he goes and says, some anti-Sunday worship writers have falsely claimed that the church initially worshipped on the Saturday Sabbath 
for almost three centuries until it was suddenly changed to Sunday when Emperor Constantine, the head of the Roman Empire, issued a decree in AD 321. We looked at Constantine two weeks ago. Now, again, I don't like this anti-Sunday. I'm not anti-Sunday. Okay, the, the problem isn't being anti-Sunday. The problem is being anti-Saturday, anti-Sabbath. That I do have a problem with. And I find it interesting that I have no problem if you go and worship on Sunday, but when I worship on Saturday, people have a problem. That sounds like a spirit of the Antichrist to me. A spirit of uh, lawlessness. I agree as well here that, well, I should say maybe disagree, depends on whose, whose side I'm on here. It wasn't suddenly changed. This was an issue that we saw as we were looking at church history. There was a reason I was taking you through that. You needed to understand that to understand what we're talking about tonight. That it wasn't a sudden change, like boom, all right. No, there was an anti-Semitic attitude that we see already at 100 AD, and that continued to grow and grow and grow as the Roman Empire, who always hated the Jews, continued to uh, basically change set times and seasons to do anything that wasn't Jewish, just like they were doing when Jesus was there, as, as uh, Andrew uh, talked about here a couple weeks ago as well. Um, he goes on and he says, This claim that the church worshipped for centuries on Saturday and then abruptly switched to Sunday as a result of Emperor Constantine is false. The controversy over Saturday or Sunday worship has often confused Christians who do not have access to difficult-to-find books that provide accurate details about the history of the early church. So, yes, again, it wasn't suddenly changed. It went on for three centuries after Constantine as well. Why? Because it was an issue. People could see a difference between what God's Word said and what the church was telling them. It was still an issue three centuries later. But what he's saying is, basically... What I've been teaching you is false, right? That Saturday is the Lord's day. Everything he's saying seems to blow my stuff out of the, out of the water here. Um, the other thing is, if you really wanted to know truth, what you'd have to have is access to these difficult-to-find books. If you only had that, then you could be enlightened. Yeah, no, you don't need access to hard-to-find books. You have access to the book. But this is the mindset that we're dealing with that I'm trying to get back. God's Word is where we find truth. Not history, not archaeology, not science. God's Word. Period. Science, you know, here I am, a guy who talks about creation all the time, and I use science all the time. But listen, I could, I could argue science till I'm blue in the face, and I'll never convince anybody that Jesus Christ is Lord using science. The Word of God does that. Science, the best I hope for with science is for them to go, oh, well, maybe I better check that Bible out and let the Word of God grab their hearts. But science doesn't change their hearts. The Word of God, the Spirit does. So, there is a place for history. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that you can understand the Bible 
without that history. You can understand the Bible without archaeology or science or any of that stuff. It's not hard to figure out. You let Scripture interpret that Scripture for you. And that's what we're going to do to really answer this problem ultimately. Anyway, he says, The historical truth is that the church never changed the day of worship from Saturday to Sunday. From the very beginning of the church, following the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, both Jewish and Gentiles, uh, Christians, celebrated communion together on Sunday. In other words, they never changed it. They, they, they were in agreement from day one. Acts chapter 15, which we looked at here a few weeks ago as well, proves that wrong. Remember the Jerusalem council? And he's saying, all right, well, all these Gentiles are coming into the Jewish church. What do we want them to do? Well, do this, this, and this. And he said, that's all we need to do because they're going to be going to the synagogues every Sabbath. That verse alone blows that out of the water. Not to mention Acts 2 verse 46 says, so continuing daily, not every other day, not only on the Sabbath, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. So yeah, they were meeting on the Sabbath, but they were also meeting six other days. They were getting together a lot because I'll tell you something, they were in dire straits. Persecution was breaking out. All kinds of things. In Acts chapter 8, we see all but the apostles scattered from Jerusalem, it says. In Acts chapter 8. Persecution had broke out. They knew we need, we need to rely on Jesus every day. So do we. We just don't realize it, I think, in many cases. But they did. He goes on, the truth is that immediately following Christ's resurrection, his disciples and followers began to worship on Sunday, the first day of the week, because this was the day that Jesus rose from the grave. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, John chapter 20. Three specific New Testament texts refer to the early church worshiping on Sunday, the first day of the week as the normal day of Christian worship. So, we're going to get into the scriptures. Um, but I want you to just see here, he's saying there are three verses that specifically say that the early church was worshiping on uh, Sunday. What I find interesting, too, is Jesus never told them to do this. This had to have been something, if they were, let, let's just say that they were doing this. I don't agree that they were replacing Saturday to Sunday. I do agree that they were meeting on Sunday. But to say that it had been replaced, if that were true, Jesus could not have been the one that told them to do it. They had to come up with that in their own mind. Think, oh, he rose, so let's make this the special day. And it would make it wrong. Even if it were true. You know, let, let's stop doing what Scripture tells us to do, and we're going to start worshiping here because we, love, we like the symbolism of it. And so that would be well, kind of what the Pharisees did. We'll talk about that later. Uh, a man-made rule. We cannot change the day that God has hallowed and made holy. I don't care what you do on it. You don't make that day holy. Only God 
could do that. And that's what he declared at creation. So let's go look at these three scripture verses in the New Testament saying that Christians worshiped on Sunday. 1 Corinthians 16, 2. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. So he's saying, on the first day of the week, when you guys are getting together, you need to basically collect your money, your tithe, you might say. Well, why would you do that on Sunday? That seems to say that they were meeting then. Um, Acts chapter 20, verse 7. Now on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, remember what it just said, that they were daily doing that? But here it's saying on the first day of the week, Sunday, when you're coming together to break bread, <clears throat> it says, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message until midnight. John chapter 20, verse 1 is the third one. <clears throat> now the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. I don't really need to address that one very much. That's just saying, you know, they're saying he resurrected on Sunday. I'm saying he was already up. That's just when Mary went to the tomb. So what you're really doing is going and celebrating Mary's tardiness. <laughs> okay? That's what you're doing. Um, note that it does not say the Lord's Day that they were meeting. It does not say it was the Sabbath that they were meeting. It says the first day of the week. But it is clearly making a distinction rather, that they were meeting. Why would Mary go on Saturday? If Jesus had taught them, hey, you no longer need to keep the Sabbath, they would not have been honoring the Sabbath to begin with. But they were. So what Jesus taught them, they were still doing. So if all of a sudden it became Sunday, it couldn't have been Jesus that told them to do it. As I said before, it had to come from their own imaginations, their own desires to celebrate their own symbolisms and whatnot. But I don't think they did that. But that's what it would have to be. Um, the other thing that's interesting here in 1 Corinthians is top one. It doesn't say that the Sabbath has changed. It doesn't mention any of that either. But rather that they were to do what on that day? Gather the money. Now, I don't think it's wrong necessarily to give your tithe on Sunday or anything, but it's going to be interesting as you're going to see. Note on the Sabbath, you are not to buy or sell or do any of those things on the Sabbath. Okay? Um, I want to look at this first verse here in Corinthians, and I want to show you why they did this on the first day of the week, because it is clear from the law of God that the apostles knew Torah, they knew the law of God, and that is exactly why they are meeting on Sunday, to take the money. Let me take you to the book of Leviticus. And here's what it says. When you come into the land which I give to you and reap its harvest, when you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest, he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. This is first fruit offering. On the day after the Sabbath, Sunday, 
The priest shall wave it. You shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until the same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. So even the Torah commanded that you were to bring your offerings the day after the Sabbath or Sunday. And that makes sense what Paul is conveying here in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2. He's just telling them to do what God's word told them to do. Note as well, it says you don't eat, you don't eat the bread until when? The day after the Sabbath as well. So remember that verse when they gathered together for a meal, it was the day after, it was the first day of the week. Why? Because that's what Torah commanded them to do on Sunday. Now this is in connection with the Feast of Weeks, which is why I was saying this you know, a few weeks back, that when we say that on the first day of the week, the first day of the week, it has something to do with the feast uh, or the first fruits. Why? Because Leviticus tells us that. Acts. Now, on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to do what? Break bread. What did Leviticus say? Okay, you shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until Sunday. Here it's saying, when the disciples came, the day after the Sabbath, Sunday. They were still Torah observant. This is what scripture is telling us. But we have heard, well, that's Sunday, that's Sunday. They were get, that was their Sabbath. No, it was never their Sabbath. They were always following the commands of God. So, um, I think you can see that Grant Jeffrey's lack of knowledge of the Old Testament has led him to the wrong conclusions, which has also led thousands of, of other people in the church to wrong conclusions that we're making Sunday the Sabbath, or that the early church did, uh, or practiced that. No, the early church did not. Um, I'm going to show you that, surprisingly, even the NIV commentary got it right. Let me just show you. This isn't just me making this stuff up. In regards to this verse, the NIV Cultural Background Study Bible has this. Um, the first day might reflect the biblical principle of devoting the first of one's earnings to God, although payment was by day rather than by week, or it might recall Jesus' resurrection. Christians also may have often met on the first day of the week in honor of Jesus' resurrection, although our first explicit evidence for this role for Sunday comes from the second century at the earliest, from half of a century after Paul's letter, in keeping with your income. This kind of giving fits biblical models. In other words, the early church wasn't doing it. Really, the first hint that we see is in the second century, but that what they were doing was following biblical principles. So, John 20, verse 1. Now, the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark. Okay, we, we kind of talked about that. Luke 23, verse 55 says, The woman 
and the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, then they go. They rested according to the commandment, according to what their master taught them as they hung out with him all those years. As what we were saying earlier. So, um, if Jesus was teaching them to break the Sabbath, they wouldn't have been doing this. Note as well that Luke here, uh, he speaks of the same thing that you know, John 20 is speaking of, but he's making a clear distinction between the Sabbath and the first day of the week. He, it's almost like highlighting it, showing that they hadn't replaced it. It wasn't even in their minds to do so. Jeffries goes on, during the first century, historical evidence confirms that many Jewish Christians continued to worship on the Saturday Sabbath because Christ and his disciples never instructed Jews to cease this biblically authorized practice for Jews from Torah. I think he just acknowledged two very important things here. Number one, it's biblical to keep the Sabbath. Number two, Christ did not instruct it to stop. So he says, during the first century, the evidence confirms those two things. However, evidence confirms that from the beginning, Jewish believers joined with their Gentile Christian brothers in worshiping at the Lord's Supper on Sunday, the day of Christ's resurrection. In other words, the Gentiles, they, they kind of figured it out that, yeah, now the Sabbath is supposed to be Sunday, so some Jews followed if that's true, again, it wasn't the Bible that made them do it. It wasn't Jesus that made them do it. It was their own imagination. Just like the rabble in Egypt that led many astray, that's what it would be. But that's not what was going on. I mean, after a while, I think it was, yes, but not initially. It goes on, and it says, in other words, many Jewish Christians worshipped on both Saturday and Sunday, many church writers noted the difference between the Jewish Sabbath worship and the Christians' Lord's Day on Sunday. Again, he keeps calling it this Jewish Sabbath. This is what the church has been brainwashed with, that there is this dual covenant. You got the Jewish stuff, and then you got Christian. Well, that's interesting, because where were they first called Christians? Antioch. And it was the Jews. I'll show you some verses of that. So the Bible doesn't say there's a difference between Jew and Christian. The Bible says you're a Christian if you know Yeshua as Messiah. It doesn't matter if you are Gentile. It doesn't matter if you are Jew, male, or female. What matters is if you have the faith of Abraham. That makes you the church right there. Well, I'm going to say yes. I would say yes, but some of it's semantics. What I mean is this. I consider myself a Jewish Christian. I'm not Jewish. But yeah, I am. I'm not DNA. But in God's eyes, I'm Jew. I am a descendant of Abraham. Period. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, my, my message on your identity, 
we'll talk about that all the more. But, you know, I am the seed of Abraham because I have the faith of Abraham. And he tells people who were genetically DNA, descendants of Abraham, the Pharisees, he said, your father's not Abraham, your, your father is the devil. If you were children of Abraham, you'd do what Abraham did. You'd obey the commands. But he says, you don't. So you're not a Jew. You're not a child of Abraham. So think of it this way. You have Jacob and Esau. Jacob would be considered a Jew. Esau, guess what? His father was a Jew. Esau became the Edomites, which became Gentiles, which became not Jew. But because I'm a believer, I'm a Jewish Christian. That's how I see it. In other words, many Jewish Christians worshipped on both Saturday and Sunday, and many church writers noted the difference between the Jewish Sabbath worship and the Christian's day on Sunday. That part that I have there in blue, uh, this is a true statement, as we saw many of the church fathers were indeed avoiding the Jewish Sabbath. That's why this anti-Semitic attitude kept them. We don't want to have anything to do with that, those odious people. We don't want to have anything to do with them. And so... Really, yeah, I, I agree that that was happening, that, that st setting the stage for that dual covenant theology. And I think Satan was behind it all because Satan knew that if I can get them not to follow the commands of God, the man of lawlessness, that's exactly what you want him to do. And so I think Satan's been behind it from day one. The very thing that, as I've talked about before, that Jesus came to you know, tear down that dividing wall of hostility they're building back up. That's what we just see. We see that wall being cemented here in, in this verbiage that's being used. He says, an early church writer, Theodoret, uh, early 5th century, wrote about the heretical Jewish Christian group called the Ebonites, who worshipped on both Saturday and Sunday. Theodoret claimed they kept the Sabbath according to the Jewish law and sanctify the Lord's Day in the manner as we do, the Christians. So they did the Jewish thing and the Christian thing. Well, there's a couple of problems here. The Ebonites were a heretical group. They uh, did not believe that Yeshua was eternal or was born from a virgin. They also did not uh, care for Paul. They saw Paul as a heretic. Now, sad to say, there are Ebonites even today. As a matter of fact, within the Messianic Jewish sect, uh, uh, that does happen quite often because what happens, and I, and I think many of you even know people this has happened too, where they get into what is called, for lack of a better word, I hate the word, but Hebrew roots. It's not Hebrew roots, it's just biblical. But they get into that Hebrew root kind of thing and they start thinking, oh, Christians have got it all wrong. The Jews have it, right? So they start learning things from true Judaic Judaism, not biblical Judaism, but Judaic Judaism, because they have this love affair with Jews all of a sudden. And then they start studying from people who don't even believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Well, guys, they're not children of Abraham either. They're not Jews. Going back to our definition before. So, Bottom line, though, is that there are people that I know who have done that. And I saw it happening where they would say, oh, this doesn't really belong in the Bible. And I don't know about Paul's, Paul's writings. We don't really like Paul's writings. And so only the red letters. Okay, we, we start seeing that. That is like red flag, jump, ship, run. 
God's word is inspired. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture. And when you start questioning God's word, I believe even the New Testament, run. Okay? It is inspired and it is from God. And the Ebonites, they rejected that. So anyway... Um, it's sad, but they are around here today. Um, the real question I have, though, is why refer to uh, literally a heretical group to support your worshiping on both days or Sunday? You sh shouldn't do that. Saying, here, here are these devil worshipers. They kept both days like we do. Yay! That's not right. You don't use something wrong to support your, your views. But this is what he said. Um, and by the way, however, though, this text is more about a memorial meal that we've looking at, not the Sabbath anyway. Um, Theodoret was talking about uh, Eusebius. He's quoting Eusebius. And he said, the Sabbath and the rest of the discipline of the Jews, they, Ebionites, observed just like them. But at, that, but at the same time, like us, they celebrated the Lord's Day as a memorial of the resurrection of the Savior. In other words, they memorialized Sunday while keeping the Saturday Sabbath. This is different than abandoning the Sabbath and the holiness that that day has as what Jeffries was suggesting there. The Jews have never, ever observed Sunday as the Sabbath. They observed Sunday as a memorial, but not as the Sabbath. Memorial so, Memorial for what? Uh, well, I think because of resurrection aspects, probably, but not to change it. Well, and what more, so, more so the Feast of Pentecost and Leviticus telling them to do that. Okay. Because it was the... the, the Remember, Passover is when Jesus dies. First fruit is a picture of his resurrection. So when you look at the first fruits, which is what that is a memorial of, you're, you, there's no question there's a connection to the resurrection with that. Not that he had to rise on Sunday, but that's the day that the Leviticus said, the day after that wave offering is when you do your thing. So anyway... Even if I was wrong on all of this, Christians still aren't honoring the Sabbath. And we've kind of talked about that before because they're still going and doing their commerce on their Sabbath, right? Uh, they're defiling it anyway, doing their own pleasures. When God said, and we'll talk about this later, what, what does God's word say you're supposed to do on the Sabbath? I can tell you what the Christian church does on Sunday is not it fully anyway, um, but like I said, even if it were true. We talked about the Laodicean canon. Um, this one, 29, says Christians must not Judaize by resting on the Sabbath. We looked at this, but must work on that day. Okay, In the 300s here, when Constantine is bringing all of this stuff up, they were not only you know, memorializing Sunday, but they were literally breaking the commands of God, saying, you 
must not rest on the Sabbath. And you must work on that day. That's the very opposite of Scripture. Rather, honoring the Lord's Day. And if they can, if you'd like to, go ahead and rest on, on Sunday as Christians do. Well, that sounds like what we do today, doesn't it? If you can, it's nice. Whatever. If any shall be found to be Judaizers, meaning keeping the Sabbath, let them be anathema from Christ. In other words, not anti-Sunday, but anti-Sabbath. So, um, let's just go back to Jeffrey's book here. It says, when Gentiles became Christians, they never began to worship on the Saturday Sabbath of the Jews. They simply began to worship on Sunday, the day of Christ's resurrection and the day of Pentecost. Well, the day of Pentecost is, is brought into play here because it's always on the first day of the week. Pentecost is always on Sunday. So again, even the Jews weren't anti-Sunday. However, this statement is not worshiping on the Sabbath is simply false, that the, the Jews or the Gentiles didn't do that. Um, Isaiah 56, 3. Um, and, and by the way, that's the verse I said before. Acts chapter 15 shows they were meeting on the Sabbath, plus others. Isaiah 56, 3. Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, the Lord has utterly separated me from his people. Remember, this is what you know, the, the eunuch would have been seeing here shortly after Philip had left him. You foreigner, you Gentile, don't you dare say that the Lord has separated you from his people. Don't you dare say that. No, he has adopted you and grafted you into his covenant, joined you to them, is what he's done. Um... Acts 15, the one that I keep saying, just so that you can see it here, just verse 21, Moses has throughout many generations those who preach in him in every city being read in the synagogues every Sabbath. This is a Messianic Jew, James, right here, saying this is our expectation of the church, that Moses will be read every Sabbath. That's the expectation. Jeffries said, although many Jewish Christians naturally continue to observe the Saturday Sabbath in addition to their Sunday worship of communion with Gentile believers, some Jews cease to worship in the synagogue on Saturday Sabbath. It is significant that God and the church never commanded Gentile Christians to worship on the Saturday Sabbath. This is what dual covenant theology does. It is based on the influence of Gentiles basically not being under the law of God. That's only a Jewish thing because they were so awful, as some of those early church fathers said. No, you are. Okay. You, those commandments, the Old Testament, is for you. Jesus has just done what we couldn't. And I would say, historically, yes, some Jews did stop as time went on. Like I said, the rabble of Egypt did the same thing. The people followed. They were all but forced to in some ways. 
it was very difficult because what ends up happening in other church history that I'm not going to get through here um, is as the Gentiles grew, the Jews were not welcomed in the Gentile churches anymore, as I showed you. But also then the synagogues for the true Judaizing, you know, uh, pharisaical Jews, they were kicked out of the synagogue. And so they were kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place. The church didn't accept them, nor did the Jewish synagogue anymore. And so they were really kind of in a, in a tough spot. Um, he goes on, since God never placed the Gentile Christians under the Sabbath day obligation of the Mosaic law, they naturally continued to worship Christ on Sunday as they had from the beginning. Again, same thing. It all comes to a head here that you, you need to reject the Mosaic law if you are a Gentile. Remember, as we talked about before, the Sabbath was given before the Levitical law, before Moses even. Moses just explained why we do it. And so I believe that this is an attack on truth, not just the Sabbath. This is, this is far more than the Sabbath, why this is wor worth talking about here. Because this is all about your ability to, to identify what sin is. First John says, sin is lawlessness. Well, apparently, Gentiles are lawless. You're not under that Mosaic law. You're free from all of that. So you don't need to recognize what's clean and what's unclean or what day of the week you're supposed to worship or, or anything like that. That's just Jewish stuff. But we like the other nine commandments, by the way. You can do those because, well, you know, everybody knows you shouldn't murder. Everybody knows that you shouldn't you know, steal. So those commandments are okay. But the others, no, you're not under those. That's the mindset that we have. Well, I want to show you what, what the mindset of Scripture is for the New Testament Gentile believer. Speaking to Gentiles, in the book of Romans, it says, For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. Or Romans 2.26, Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, that's a Gentile, Will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you, who even you, with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? You're going to judge those Jews of today who have rejected the Messiah. Romans 8, 6. I have the same verse twice, and so I copied and pasted the wrong thing. You'll have to look up Romans 8, 6, or Romans 2, 26, one of the two. I don't know which. I could go to uh, Proverbs 28, 9. If anyone turns a deaf ear to God's law, even his prayers are detestable to him. I, mean, I could literally probably give you 30 verses. The Gentiles have not been freed from the law. They have been freed from the condemnation of the law. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As I said, I cannot keep the law. I will break it, guaranteed. But thanks be to Christ, because he has rescued me from my own flesh, my body of death, as Paul says. A lot fewer stones. What's that? A lot fewer stones. Yes, yes. So 
Without Christ, I'm still doomed to hell because of that same law. With Christ, the condemnation has now been taken away, but I bring glory and honor to him as I obey it. That is, in part, my form of worshiping God is obeying the law of God. Now, you can't decide what the law is. God's word does that. But we as a church have decided we get to decide what we are supposed to do. Now, I know that turns over a whole other topic, and we won't get into that tonight, but anyway, I'll leave it at that. Timothy also agrees, speaking of the Old Testament, he says, And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed, inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine. Wait a minute, I thought only, we get our, we, we get our doctrines from the New Testament. The New Testament gets its doctrine. What's that? Where does the New Testament get its doctrine? Exactly, good point. Where does the New Testament get its doctrine? As we've been going through the book of Hebrews, you can see everything is going back to the Old Testament to explain the New. He goes on, the, the changing demographic balance between Jewish believers and Gentile believers within the church eventually resulted in a primary Gentile church, Christian church, that worships solely on Sunday. Just not true. The commandment for the observance of a Saturday Sabbath was given to Israel. It was never given as a direct commandment to the Gentiles, nor was it given to the church. You can see why. This is why you have Sunday worship right here. This mentality of dual covenant theology. Um, like I said, remember the first church was Jewish. Acts 15, that's a Jewish church. And it was filled with Gentiles and Jews. Um, even in the Old Testament, those who joined Israel were considered to be native-born Israelites. Rahab, Ruth, talks about it in an exodus. Um, so, like I said, God has never seen us as two separate people. In Christ, we are one. How about this? Uh, Revelation. Uh, I'm not going to go there, but in Revelation, you have the new city, and there are 12 gates, and the, the tribes, Jewish tribes are there. There is no Gentile tribe listed. Which gate you going through? Yeah, you might want to figure that one out, I guess, if you're a dual covenant theology. So the next slide here, I want to show you that the Jews are the church. I kind of mentioned it before, but when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all things that God had done with them. This is after Paul and Barnabas have been sent out. They're now coming back and the first Gentile had come in, Cornelius, and the Jews are called the church, scripturally. So it's one and the same. So when Grant Jeffrey says that it wasn't given to the church, that the Mosaic law you know, was just given to the Jews, well, this scripture verse just proved him wrong. There is no difference. If the Sabbath was given to the Jews, it was given to you also. Um, 
and just kind of like what you were saying too, where does our doctrine come from? Every time the apostles try to prove something, they're, they're quoting the Old Testament to support it. The road to Emmaus, the same thing, because it's really all about Jesus. So, um, the attempt to observe Saturday Sabbath worship rather than the normal Sunday worship of all Christians for the last 2,000 years is a spiritually misguided attempt to place believers under the impossible and failed law. Not only is the law impossible, but it is failed. Recorded in the Old Testament, rather than relying for our salvation on Christ's offer of salvation through his death on the cross, an entirely unmerited grace and undeserved gift of God to his children. I can agree with some of that. It is unmerited. It is undeserved, the grace that God has given me. Okay, but here's the part I don't, uh, basically relying on that for my salvation, I don't rely on keeping the law or keeping the Sabbath for my salvation. Heaven forbid that. You see, that's what the church sees. They see that if I'm trying to keep the law, I'm trying to earn salvation. No, I'm not. I can't. Okay. I'm, my life is filled with filthy rags. I can only get to heaven by the mercy and grace of God. It is obedience to the law that gives him glory and honor and praise and worship and brings blessings to me. Okay, other than salvation. So this impossible law. I mean, he's got the first part right. There's, there's some truth to that to some extent. It depends on what you mean. And if he means it's impossible to keep it, yeah, it is. It is impossible for me to keep it by my own. However, I have fulfilled the law in Jesus Christ. He has fulfilled it for me. That's what you have to understand. Because otherwise to say, well, it's impossible, so let's not do it. You don't need to keep the Sabbath. It's impossible. Well, you know what? I don't know how you guys can't murder either. It's impossible. It's impossible for you not to murder. Yeah. <laughs> it is kind of crazy how hard it is, though, to keep the Sabbath, though. I mean, I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's harder than you think, I guess is what I'm saying. You think it'd be... When it hasn't been your normal for right. however long. Going, yeah, yeah, it's, it's yeah, not... Close to that? Yeah, at first you're like, oh, that's great. Yeah, I'm not, not doing anything, but... I can't answer that because I don't know what I can and can't do yet. <laughs> Here's the problem already. To have a list of can and cannot is dangerous to begin with. Because then it becomes pharisaical. The point is, is you're supposed to keep it holy. It's a day for him, and it's a day you're to protect. And we will talk about some things Scripture does say, but there's a lot Scripture doesn't say about it. What it's about is what's in here. Other side. Okay. Um, you know, Jesus never came so that we could walk in rebellion, did he? No, instead, he, he came and he said, repent. Of what? What are you to repent of if you're not under the law? In one way, I can agree with it. That the law as a means of righteousness, absolute failure. 
but th that's a misunderstanding of the law. It's just like Ron said. He doesn't call the law. Torah is not the law. Torah is way of life. That's what Ron, a believing Jew, calls it. He says it's not this list. It's a way of life. Just what it is. It's just who you are. It becomes what you do and who you are. The law never, ever failed. The problem was not with the law. The problem was with us. The law, as Romans says, is holy, righteous, and good. And yet you're saying, what Grant is saying, the law is bad. No, no, no. Scripture, New Testament, the law is holy, righteous, and good. The law never failed. You did. Thanks be to Christ, because he did not fail. That's the difference. Here, look, look at what Romans says. We'll close out with Romans. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin. Not the law itself, the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak, Notice, though, that the law wasn't weak. It was weak through the flesh. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. In other words, the law wasn't bad, the flesh was, so Jesus came and made the law holy, righteous, and good, taking away the condemnation so that you might live freely. It's not difficult, really, for me not to steal and murder. Why? Because it just is who I am. It's what I grew up learning. I think if you grew up learning that the Sabbath was a day to be honored and holy, it wouldn't be difficult for you to do it. It would just be something that you did. Romans continues and says, He condemns sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement... Wait a minute, requirements... Yeah, that, that's scripture speaking, not just me. That the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. You have a heart to do the law. Remember what Jeremiah said as a prophecy of the new covenant? I'm going to take their law that was on stone and I'm going to put it on your hearts. That's what this whole flesh and spirit thing is talking about. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So the flesh is going to tell you don't bother doing it. You can't do it anyway. Well, you're right, you can't. But you can do all things through Christ. Live in the spirit, not in the flesh. I said uh, I was going to end in Romans. I guess I was wrong here. I thought that was my last one. But he says, Now therefore, Jeremiah 18, speak to the man of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. Return now every one of you from his evil way and make your ways and your doings good. And they said, That's hopeless. So we'll walk according to our own plans and we'll, we will, everyone, obey the dictates of his evil heart. 
This is what Grant Jeffries is saying. Ah, oh, it's impossible anyway. And so the people say, you're right, it's hopeless. So we'll walk according to our own desires. We'll do what we want. Since it's hopeless. Matthew 15, 7 says, Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Because I can't see how that this Sunday Sabbath is not a doctrine of men that is being taught as a commandment of God. Like I said, I'm not against you worshiping on but when those Sunday people say that I'm being legalistic because I'm doing it on Saturday, now I got a problem. So Matthew here is speaking to us today, I think. Um, don't give up. It's not impossible through Christ. And I think that we need to understand that, that this is about the heart. I have a heart to keep the Sabbath. Will I be able to keep it? No. Nope. But I'll tell you what, I'm going to have fun trying. I will not be able to keep my temper under control all times. But I am going to have fun in my victories when I do. And then I am going to have joy in taking my failures to Christ knowing that they have been forgiven. But I'm not going to stop having a heart to follow and obey. Matthew 15:3 says, He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandments of God? Because of your tradition. That's the Pharisees that he's speaking to. I'm telling you, the church is filled with Pharisees today. Not out of rebellion for the most part, but out of ignorance. Because we don't talk about these things. And I think it's time that people talk about them, think about it, meditate, and go to the Word of God and get rid of all of our traditions of men so that we do not transgress commandments of God. But we don't have access to the books. Yeah. <laughs> so, with that, uh, we will uh, close. Next week, I think, is going to be another good one. We're going to talk about Colossians. So I want to just dig into the Word and uh, look Colossians 2, because these are ones that are always used against us. Okay, um, And so... Just some of the scriptures that people say, yeah, but what about, what about, just like this, the first day of the week. Look, the Bible says the first day of the week, the first day of the week. Take and let scripture explain it to you rather than just your imagination. We'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are just grateful for, again, your word. It is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. May it continue to show us the way. And Lord, I just pray that you would guard and protect us. Satan wants to get in here and take a truth, and he always wants to twist it. He always wants to, to make us feel that maybe we can do something for our salvation, to make us feel guilty and, and feel that we can't be good enough and that what you did wasn't good enough. 
Lord, I just pray right now that uh, if that spirit is here in any way, shape, or form in anybody, that you would just remove it in Jesus' name. That we would not leave here with any self-sufficiency at all, but rather just a desire to honor you, to bring you glory, and to do the best we can, and that you would empower us and continue to give us wisdom to take a stand on truth, to follow it, to be willing to be separate from this world to follow you. We pray this in the name of Yeshua. Amen.